Okay, this is episode 24 of FIA Goes PC, and we've got a special one today. It's quite an interesting one. It's something I'm very passionate about, which is the subject of coffee, because <laughs> I am a big caffeine addict, it's very true. And I have no problem saying it to the world, a lot of people do, but I don't. So we are here with our special guest, it is Lydia from Warwick Street Kitchen. Hello. In Leamington Spa. Hi. Hello, nice to be here. It's great to have you with us. And we're here, of course, with our producer, as always, Winifred Mark. Hello. So, I'm your host, Rebel Zen, a.k.a. Danny Hale. So it is all about coffee. And I think the first thing I've got to ask you, Lydia, is why coffee? <laughs> what created the coffee thing? Oh, man. You? How much time do we have? We got time. We got time. <laughs> I, um, I love coffee, as a lot of people do. I didn't always, though. I didn't always start off like that. I started, I guess you, I guess you could say, my career um, in music. I was yeah. in a band. We know a lot of the same people. Yes, we do. Um, that didn't work out. And I kind of started a long and winding road that brought me here. Uh, in a nutshell, it was, I decided, right, what's plan B? I still want to be around music. I still want to be creative. Ended up going to do a degree in sound engineering. Uh, so throughout that and through my whole life in a band, I always needed a job to pay the bills, right? Right, As sure. you do. Yeah. And it was always hospitality. It was always people facing, whether that was, I ran a hair salon for a while. Uh, I worked in restaurants. I waited tables. I worked in some photography studios randomly. <laughs> and then when I came out the other end of university, I had, as many people who've tried to make it in music or anything creative will tell you, was just fed up of being skint and not having any money. So I took the first job I could find that paid me a regular salary, which was actually working in recruitment. I was in an office and I worked there for just over a year. I could honestly say was the worst year of my life. (laughs) I was so miserable. And I mean, it's a really high pressured sales job. Yeah. And you're ultimately selling people, which didn't sit well with me. Yeah, sure. And after giving that up, I gave it up with nothing to go to. I just got to the point where I was just sick of being so upset and depressed and I wasn't doing music. I wasn't having that creative outlet at all. Uh, quit it with nothing to go to and decided I was going to make cakes for people. Oh, okay. I was going to make birthday cakes, christening cakes, wedding cakes. But while I built up that client base, I needed a job and I ended up going and offering my services, washing up for an independent coffee shop in Birmingham called, at the time they were called Urban Coffee Company. Right, yeah. They're now called Urban. Yeah. So I just used to do Saturdays washing up for them. This is now about four years ago. And I found myself more and more just really looking forward to the days I was going to be in the shop and less so the days where I was going to be in my kitchen by myself making cakes. Mm. So ultimately ended up giving that up and worked my way up within Urban. So from washing up girl to up until about five, six months ago, ultimately running shops for that company. I took on training for that company. So in the meantime of that three and a half, four years, I have done quite a lot of coffee training. There is something called the SCA, which is the Speciality Coffee Association. And they do official qualifications in coffee. Uh, So I did those and empowered myself to be really good at it because people love coffee, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to do it well. I didn't just want to serve them really bad coffee. Yeah, just everyday standard. This is a specialist thing. It's good that you point that out. Is that actually an international organisation? It is, yeah. So the I think they've just rebranded. So they right. were called the SCAE, which is a Speciality Coffee Association of Europe. Right. And there was the SCAA, which is a Speciality Coffee Association of America. America yeah. Um, so they are a body of people which ultimately decide how good coffee is. They yeah. train people. Yeah. They buy coffee. Are basically maintaining the standards. Yeah. And 
yeah, I wanted to, yeah, I guess I always wanted to work for myself in some aspect. And when I realized how much I loved this industry, not only the product, but the people, I went about everything I could in making myself as good as possible at doing that. So when the opportunity presented itself to do my own thing, I had a fighting chance of being good yeah, at it. Yeah, of course. You've done the time, yeah. Absolutely. It's a hell of a story, that. Mm. There's a lot going on in that story. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I've been I've been around the block, I guess. I've done, <laughs> I've done some crazy jobs. Well, it's, it's funny because I'm just going to so interrupt. Literally the last sort of time I probably knew of you, you were in the band Che. And I'm yeah. saying that for Birmingham listeners and our West Midlands audience as well as the UK. Because <laughs> Che were doing great the last time I checked in. To see to see this evolution of you. Mm. I've got to say, like, for everyone who's listening, fair play to you, man. That's oh, a lot of That's a lot of uh, recovery and keeping going at moving forwards, really. Well, I think anyone who, again, who has, who has the story of trying to do something, not even just creative, but anything that you've set your heart on your whole life. Yeah. Anyone who can relate to being knocked back, maybe losing your way a little bit. Yeah. It was a bit of a hard graft. And I do say to people, I felt lost for a really long time. Um I loved being in Che. I loved singing. I still do. I was just saying a minute yeah, ago, I, yeah. you know, I still I sing in a covers band. I still have that outlet. But it got to the point where I was like, right, what is plan B? I need to find something that I am equally as passionate about because I'm not the kind of person that can live without passion. I tried the office job thing. Didn't work yeah, for me. Yeah, that's where passion goes to die, to be <laughs> honest. Yeah. Well, some people love it. And I don't yeah. want to disrespect that at all. That's no, true. I'm not built for that. Yeah. I, well, I think it's an important thing. Um, actually, my ex-drummer, who works for my father's company, weirdly, um, he loves the office life, always has salesman guy, you know, he's always around uh, the UK, and he always prioritized that over the band, always kept that honest. Hmm. It is interesting to me, because I think you're kind of the creative zone, you know, so I think when you are truly creative... The office isn't a place you can create a lot in. Some people find a way to find creativity in their job sale, selling and, and sales and stuff like this. But for a lot of us, it sort of becomes a mundane existence, that nine to five thing. There's no challenge to it. And it's something I've been trying to explain to my dad, who's, you know, super business guy. That's how he is for all of my life. You, you just can't. There's always something that you don't get a reward from. And it's just interesting because you've gone a very similar route to me. Mm. So it's almost like I had a music background and then I sort of said, right, it's not enough. I, For me, it wasn't enough. We had a band split and instead of sort of dissolving, because you do, you feel it's such a personal experience when a band splits. So, Absolutely. Um, you try and look for yourself in that equation. And it's funny because instead of making cakes, and I could have, I'm a big cook. I've always cooked. I love, love doing stuff in the kitchen forever. Instead of going that route, I always said, right, grab a camera and make films, <laughs> weirdly. Mm. Um, but it's it's such an interesting thing that you say about the cake business that leads you down this road to the coffee industry. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Warwick Street Kitchen is quite a special place. Mm. Um, you're in the process of making your website right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the information up on Facebook, what I personally love about it is you've kept the the British side of it alive. What you're selling is British fare. It's kind of Mediterranean as well, but it's all handcrafted on site. I love that. And that's that. Is that something you've contributed from your cake making days, do you think? Well, I have to give credit where credit is due. A large part of the building of this company really relied on meeting the right chef. Right. The right person who was going to take control of the kitchen. And I met the chef that I'm now working with, a guy called George, and he got it. 
Like straight yeah, away, we, yeah. had, we, we first of all had a first conversation on the phone. I said, this is what I want to do. I can really be the leading force of front of house, quality control, coffee, yeah. customer service, and I can run a business. I've learned those skills along the way. Yeah. But what I want to happen out of the kitchen is beyond my capability. Yeah, yeah. I want to use 100% local suppliers. Yeah. You know, if I want the local people of Leamington or Warwickshire to support me, I've got to support the local economy yeah. right mm, back, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I couldn't, in good conscience, use national suppliers. Yeah, yeah. wanted to make everything on site where possible. And he just got it. He was like, yeah, done, let's do this. Yeah. And he's got a lot of um, Middle Eastern-inspired dish ideas, and that's where he sort of comes from. And he sort of said, what do you want me to do menu-wise? And I was like, within these guidelines like you know I want to do the all day breakfast brunch thing which, yeah. which people love so yeah. much and I want to do uh, the exciting lunch thing but other than that roll with it yeah. go with it yeah, go as crazy as you want Yeah. he came back with this incredible menu that I'm so excited about and I love watching people enjoy every day that yeah I have to give credit where credit's due really he's taken that and run with it and done an amazing job which is great I mean it's almost like you reinterpreted the entire cafe concept to be honest I mean, these are a lot of things we we were likening it to things we've seen in Los Angeles. But I think what we have in the UK is we have these creative minds getting behind what was just a local thing we all took for granted. When you think of cafes with us growing up, it was, you know, your jacket sale all day breakfast. It was horrible experience, really. We all laugh at it now, really. But I just love the thing. It's something I really noticed coming back here. There is so many uh, movements, but I think that what's exciting about you guys is that there's so much thought in everything you do. I just checked literally before you turned up today. I, I checked out the donut stuff, <laughs> and I see donuts, my eyes pop, and I'm like, <laughs> awesome, you know? Yeah, because I'm a health freak, obviously. Um, obviously, but yeah, yeah. But I just think it's just these little touches you guys are doing. It's really good. It's cool that you picked up on the donuts actually, because again, that's something else that. George and then he's upskilled the rest of the team in the kitchen to be really, really skilled at. Yeah. And it's a way that we can, it's this kind of one thing that we're really well known for. They've really blown up on social media and people come in and they're like, oh, the donuts out yet. And they do come out every day, but at a certain time because you have the whole proving and and, and cooking process. But people are used to that now and they come in at the right time and they know they sell out at a certain time Mm. and we can go crazy with the flavors depending on seasonal stuff or what we've got on site. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the cafe thing, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just talking about that this the other day. People still come in and they're still like, do you sell jacket potatoes or, yeah, or can yeah. I have a coffee? And like the, their eyes pop out of their head when they see that you're charging more than 50p for yeah. a cup of coffee yeah. because it's not, you know, Nescaf instant well, stuff. I mean, this is, yeah, this is the point we got to say because there is this movement with the grassroots businesses. I mean, you look at, um, for example, in Birmingham, our city. It's our city, pretty much. Um, we own it. Um, but if you look, I do. At, yeah, of course. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I knew I recognized recognize you for somewhere. But um, when you look at it, even things like um, how barbershops are evolving, mm-hmm. and there's this kind of real rush towards this more exotic, more luxurious experience for everything, that's a testament to our generation. I think the older generations can look at this, and it's so complex for them that they are sort of intimidated i guess walking near or buy it but i think that goes quite quickly especially when you get it the penny has to drop 
And I think any independent movement is always waiting for that penny to drop in your clientele, the older clientele, especially. Something I want to say here, though, is I think that any independent business owner who is pushing this, I guess you could call it new agenda, needs to be very careful about the way they present that message. Mm. Because I am a massive advocate for customer service has to come first. And there is a lot of surrounding speciality coffee especially a lot of hipsterization yeah, and yeah. looking down on people for not understanding what you're talking about yeah. and this can go the same in fact it's funny you say barbershops because a couple of really good independent barbershops down the road from me in leamington again they would have to be very careful about the way they market this and you can do it in a gentle way that yeah. explains why it's better and creates a good customer experience or you can do it in this abrasive well, if you don't want to drink here, don't drink here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, the customer isn't right, we're right. That kind of mentality. You see that actually a lot in LA these days with their equivalents, especially independent stuff. You do get that intimidation. It's actually weirdly in vaping shops, which is a huge craze. And it, you go in there and it's like everyone's a mixologist, <laughs> a vaping liquid or something. I think it's really a global kind of cultural change, especially, I mean, just saying coffee. My parents' generation, they would probably go into a Starbucks and go, what? I don't understand this language. It's a whole different culture that our generation is like, we're taking it for granted and we're trying to uh, explore it and find that... that, uh, the heart in the independent scene. Hong Kong's quite weird as well because you have... Starbucks is quite substandard. There are places in Hong Kong that are Asian chains that are rivaling Starbucks, but they are so complicated. Like, I think one of them was uh, Rose Petal Tea, but it mm-hmm. had like 6,000 ingredients, yeah. you know. And in Los Angeles, one of my experiences was a boba tea shop, mm. which is a huge booming craze here. Uh, Absolutely. Due, due to the From uh, Chinese, yeah, yeah. yeah, due to Chinese uh, being here in, in university, a lot more than they have, have been, really. The growth is incredible. Boba tea places are popping up all over the place. Mm. In LA... There was this store. We actually reviewed it for a magazine, and every tea they sold was themed to your zodiac. Wow! But the ingredients were so nuts. Like half of them, I'm like, they're all organic. Mm-hmm. That was the thing's, you yeah. know, movement. But you just walk in and you're like, hibiscus flower and stuff, and and it was just like seventy five different things. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I think our generation can look at that and go, I'm really curious about that. It yeah. just sounds mad, like the maddest cocktail I've ever heard of. But the wrong person I look at that just walks straight out because I can't pronounce it. I just it. want a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what's important to say about Warwick Street Kitchen, though, especially you guys, is that you do simplify things quite to a logical point. There are places that I've been to. I'm not going to drop names, but there are kind of convoluted places here in this city as well that you really need a bit of prep you need to sort of ask them like what am i drinking right now mm. but the thing that i like about you guys is you've got a nice blend of both you can get a flat white and you know my mom who feels real proud of herself knowing what a flat white is you know <laughs> um that's her favorite thing to have now and i think what's also good to point out about these movements is you've just said you're sourcing locally for ingredients you're sourcing you know your sources with coffee mm. you know to actually own what you're selling like that, have the knowledge and the education of what you're actually providing and working with local companies is something that really was, you know, my possibly my grandfather's generation. That was default. And we've walked away from it because corporations have made it so easy to just have these nationalist things or import things for a cheap or whatever. Mm. 
that it, it blows your mind, really. It's a logical thing that we're going back to. But the fact that the movement is endorsing these farms, it's good to point out, that's coming under your price as well because the product is so much better. You know, the treatment of everything you're selling is so much better. Everything comes from an, a real place. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that I, I really tribute to to you guys. It's it's a good thing that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you have to be careful with it. I think that you have to sell the classics and I have and uh, so much of it comes down to staff training as well because again you do have people that come in and say I just want a cup of tea or I just want a coffee and there are so many places again I won't name names where they'll just be like we don't sell just coffee yeah yeah I just think if you've lost sight of the fact that the customer is paying your bills then you are in the wrong industry yeah for sure. And it comes back to training your staff to answer those questions properly or respond to those things correctly in a way that maintains customer service, mm-hmm. but also maintains the quality of your product and protects that brand. So yeah. thank you for noticing that. You know, it's something I've put a lot of time and effort no, into. No, it's, it's really noticeable. And I think it stands you out quite far as well because... You're absolutely right. With the general, um, the attitude is almost like, well, why why don't you understand what we sell? You know, you get this a lot when you go to, um, I have to stay with America really because it's quite a big movement. It's sort of happened in America. What we're doing here, I feel, is a lot more realistic. I think American uh, concept, even with independence, is always to push to that corporate scale. They want to franchise. They want to branch out. Mm-hmm. Whereas we put our attention into a shop you know, and if you are lucky to franchise that out, it's only two or three more and that's it. Yeah. And I, I think that's a testament to us here in the UK. So how have the customers adapted? Because taking my mom as a prime example, you know, she's, I don't want to say her age, I shouldn't, but she'll slap me. <laughs> no. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's not young, but she's not old. She's 21 forever. Hi, mom, how are you doing? Um, but basically, her thing was cappuccino. She discovered this, and this was like, we've all had cappuccinos forever, you know, mm. us kids. She discovered this quite late on. And then I think someone shifted it towards a flat white, you see. Mm. And it's so easy now, like with my mom and coffee, it's like, that's what she wants, that's what she's going to get. It's dead easy to order that. And I think what's interesting, I find, is that when people do come into these places, they become curious in time mm-hmm. and start asking for the more complex stuff. And I think that's what you have to, there's a, a degree of patience that you have to have with your customers, as well as patience with yourself, because you're going to want to say, hey, we'll try this or try this and upgrade to this and this, because you really want them to get the best experience. So it is that balance that you seem to have, you know. Absolutely. I think that. As you say, and it's something, again, it comes back down to the way you train your staff and the way you want them to conduct themselves with your customers. Yeah. You don't jump down their throat first time. I mean, an example of this is the syrups thing, right? So yeah. we made a decision not to have syrups on site. Yeah. So I feel like it doesn't add anything to coffee. If anything, I feel like it's taking away from this mm. beautiful drink that I'm creating. Yeah, So somebody comes in and, and they ask for a vanilla latte. So you just say, really sorry, we don't have syrups. Don't make any further excuses. That's it. Mm-hmm. and 99 times out of 100 that person just says okay I'll just have a latte then instead and they will ultimately go and put sugar in it yeah. because mm-hmm. they want their, that drink to be sweeter yeah fine yeah like you say because you haven't been rude to them and abrasive they'll come back and they'll keep putting sugars in their coffee but then ultimately over time you build up a discussion with that customer you build up a rapport with that customer and you can talk to them about it and about why maybe you don't need to have sugar in yeah. our coffee because yeah. 
we don't overheat our milk. So we've got natural sweetness in the milk, which there's natural sweetness in the coffee and try it, see how you feel, see how you go. Ultimately, again, if you want to put sugar in your coffee, though, cool, it's your drink. Yeah, you've paid yeah, for it. Of course. But having the knowledge there to discuss why it's maybe a good idea to try it without sugar or without a syrup, having that in your arsenal, holding it back for the correct time is ultimately what I think customer service is about. Yeah. I can help you have the best experience possible with this coffee. But again, if you don't want me to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to shove it down your throat. And there are so many people who own specialty coffee shops who might listen to this and just think I'm mad. They might just think <laughs> she's taking this coffee and she's letting people do whatever the hell they want with it. And this is something that I do in all of my induction with new staff is I talk about the customer who wants the extra hot soy decaf mocha. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 of course. Those guys. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> we all know them. <laughs> and a lot of people, if you ask them, they'll be like, oh, I wouldn't serve it or, you know, no, you know what? By the time you've added all the extras onto that drink, it's basically a four pound drink. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to make you the best extra hot soy mm. decaf mocha you've ever had in your life. Yeah. And I'm going to do it with a smile on my face and thank you very much and have a great day. And hopefully then, because you haven't belittled them and you haven't, given them a horrible experience based around the drinks that they wanted, they'll come back and you can build that relationship with them. And maybe, maybe they can't drink caffeine. Yeah. You know, why are you looking down on people for the decaf thing? Yeah. A lot of people have intolerances or they're pregnant or there's loads of things going yeah. on there. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're lactose intolerant. And so in which case, further down the line, I can talk to you about maybe a different alternative milk that might suit your drink better. But on day one, no, I'm not doing that on day one because you'll never come back. Yeah, yeah. You've got to think about it. Smart. Yeah, no, it's that balance. It really is that balance. And I think, like I said, you always have that experience where you go, you regulate. The first thing you want in anything is to regulate a customer. You, you need them to keep coming back. And I think eventually uh, they will ask the questions and they'll start asking the staff, you know, point us in the right direction. Mm. You know, we're seeing that, that it's that curiosity thing. They'll see someone like sat two seats away with something and they're like, wow, what's that? You know, and then they try it. It's literally that catch. And I think... It is that degree of patience. And I don't think you have anything to apologize for. If anyone's listening, I think they should take notes. <laughs> if anything, you know, because oh. it, it's that complication, really. I mean, I was blown away, really, when I found out about mixology, which mm. is, you know, you've got cocktails and then you've got mixology, which mm. is a whole different, it's more scientific. It's right. like Heston Blumenthal. It's, you know, you really got to know your stuff. And my mate Jesse out in California, quick shout out, Jesse. Hi, how are you doing? Um, <laughs> He basically was doing these things like triple layered cocktails that just blew your mind. You know, each thing blends to make a taste and stuff like this. And it's the attention to detail he had that put him in demand. At first, everyone was terrified of him. Mm. They thought he was like Jacqueline Hyde, like this weirdo (laughs) from, you know, who knows where with his science gear, you know. But eventually they get settled on this. And I think coffee is one of these things that a lot of people don't understand how good it can be. Mm -hmm. They're so used to the basic flavors of it and there was a few things that i've watched you talk about because you're telling people um how to brew at home brewing badass coffee at home yeah yeah which i actually think i mean that's awesome you know what a reach out check it out on youtube yeah you should (laughs) um but basically like in that you say this thing about extraction yeah now my experience is 99.9 percent of starbucks that i've been to Mm -hmm. and i apologize (laughs) thank you um but i do go to starbucks quite a lot um it's needs must and uh, there you go. But nine times out of ten, their coffee tastes burnt to me. Mm. And it is that extraction process that you talk about. I would actually disagree. Really? 
Well, I, I don't know anything. <laughs> here we go. Ta- here tell here me we what go. It is. Right. So I think when you go into somewhere like a Starbucks or a Costa, yeah. they are buying a very, very good quality of bean. Yeah. They have the money to do that. Sure. And they have very, very good equipment. They have the money to do that. Sure. Where they're falling down is staff training. They're not consistent enough with yes, it. Yes, that's the point. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, I mean, there are, of course, ones, there are exceptions to the rule, of course. But the machines are filthy, right? Yeah. Okay. Filthy. You can see there's milk everywhere, crusty yeah. milk yeah. over the steam yeah. ones. There's dried coffee all down the back of the machine like their workspace is disgusting tell me something if you walked into a professional kitchen and saw a kitchen looking like that would you want to eat that it would be shut down down. absolutely we do not have eho regulations eho are environmental health organization people that do the food hygiene meetings we don't have eho regulations based around the coffee machine Mm. or based around the way you serve drinks which i think is really interesting um so when you have that really burnt taste there's two reasons you could have that yes it could be extraction sure it's actually, when you've got all the other factors in place, when you've got the machinery right, blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. it's quite difficult to push coffee that far because a really good bean can taste good pushed a bit further. Nine times out of ten, it'll be down to the fact that the machinery, the equipment they're using is very, very dirty. Right. So what you're getting is the the previous 50 shots, all the debris yeah, still yeah. left from all that, the res- still yeah. being extracted. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, yes, over-extraction, but yeah. not from your shots. Yeah. No, no, from no. Mr. Smith that yeah, came yeah. in at 8 a.m. in the morning. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, that's so, a great point. And, it, and the thing that's so frustrating for me is, and the reason I don't go into chains anymore, I used to, I used to try, I used to try and give them the benefit of sure. the doubt. But the reason I don't anymore is because they don't take the seconds it takes to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. Like wiping your steam wand in between every single one. Yeah. Purging the, the, everything that you put the, the shots into, the handles, they're called group heads. And you can just purge a little bit of water in between each one yeah. just to get rid of any remaining coffee. And I can say that on a Saturday when we're super busy and we're getting completely slammed, those standards still don't drop. Yeah, which I think that's the crucial thing because... Starbucks is an interesting thing because, again, like you'll have, and the experience I've got is kind of international with them. Um, in LA, most stores keep control. Right. They really do. Um, they take their jobs immensely seriously. I know in London, there's a quite a big push for them to focus on things because your younger brother, quick yell out to Rob, if you're listening, Rob. He was a barrister for Starbucks for right. for 25 minutes. And, and <laughs> 25 minutes. <laughs> a couple, couple of days, I don't know, for a while. Um, but he was telling us about the intensity of the job, the training that he was getting. But I think it's also the application of the staff member for them because mm. there's no control necessarily. It's what you take from a job, and he took it immensely seriously. Uh, Hong Kong, the standards are amazing in almost everything. So it's really just something I found here, but it's, I, I always thought it could be connected because they have this plastic cylinder where they keep the beans in. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, cause it's that burnt plastic taste that you get, you know? Mm. And I was thinking, could it have any correlation to the plastic that the beans are in heating no. up? And no, cause that, that part the of the machinery won't be warm in any way. And, and I'd be very, very surprised if Starbucks aren't using top notch yeah, equipment for this. Going through. I think it's ultimately really, really dirty machinery mm. and just general poor execution of, of the making and what i bring it down to is so from the planting of the bean to it being in your cup in a yeah, coffee yeah, shop yeah. can be a four-year process if yeah, not more yeah. if not more in, in most cases yeah. so some farmer has planted it grown it nurtured it harvested it 
had direct trade with a roastery, sold it. The roaster has spent their life trying to be a really amazing roaster. They've roasted it, sold it on, and for us to mess it up in the last 30 seconds... Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. not good enough. It's well, it, not I, I good think, enough. And that's another thing that I think you've pointed out in a lot of your videos is basically like... It's that care for detail. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's in food, in the food industry. I've worked for a few restaurants here and there, um, hotel especially, where it was a, a Michelin star chef running it. And you don't have to see the difference. I mean, you can't, there's a lot of gourmet brands starting up around, you know, Jamie's Kitchen is a good example of this, where they're popping up internationally all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that quality control, even the next level up, every ingredient you have is treated like it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. You know, you need to know how to cook it as well. You get a courgette. It's a good example. Courgette, you can cook a courgette like anyone can in a frying pan easily, whatever. But there's also a way that you maximize the flavor from it. Taking a bean, which is actually an expensive commodity. Absolutely. Um, when you get the decent quality, it's extortionate, you know, mm. some of them, some variants. And you just think... It is quite crazy how at the bottom level, if you're serving something that is almost equivalent to gold in certain mm. cases in price and value, how can you just be so cavalier? I think it's a second to oil in terms of like yeah, import yeah, and, yeah, yeah, all of that. But it's the process and the man, the, the labor. But mm. you know, it's it's a heck of a thing, really. I would I would blame the processes within the companies that we're talking about. They are not educating people enough to explain this. Yeah. You know, somebody gets a part-time job when they're 16 because they that's what you do when yeah. you're a kid. It's the equivalent of flipping burgers, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but if nobody ever tells you that it's different to yeah. flipping burgers, why should you treat it any differently? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. And I know that there are brands out there, high street coffee brands, that have little or no budget for training. It is a case of get on the job, here you go, push some buttons, yeah. now you know how to make yeah. coffee. yeah. And it's funny when you talk about it in in terms of fine ingredients, because the amount of money we're paying for coffee these days, it is the equivalent of fine dining, really, if you go to the right speciality coffee shop. So why aren't we treating the training part of it? This is something I'm so passionate about. My guys, the the day before we opened, spent, well, it was meant to be eight hours, ended up overrunning to like a 10, 12-hour day, spent the whole day with me in the shop, and we went through coffee, went through customer service, we went through workflow, because, yeah, I want people to come to us and not other people. And yeah. it sounds like it's a simple thing, but upskill your staff. Tell them why you want them to do better. Don't just have a go at them and discipline them when they don't do better. Tell them why. And so I, I, I my process was I, I bought an existing business. Yeah. So any of the staff that wanted to stay could stay with me and many of them did so they had been serving coffee for quite a long time and a couple of them had admitted they won't admire, they won't mind me saying this a couple of them admitted to me they sauntered into that training day like i've got this you're yeah. not going to teach me anything <laughs> yeah. and literally within 15 minutes they were like oh my god we know nothing <laughs> yeah. we've been doing a terrible well, job i mean that's exactly what i was saying about it's, mixology it's like, really it's an art basically yeah, yeah it really is well it's an eyes and craft yes. it really is and i think this is something that you got to put out there there's the coffee shop we all we all know from our past, the seventies style thing, or even earlier, and then there's the high street chain, the Starbucks, the Costas, the whatever you've got in LA, coffee bean, etc. Mm-hmm. And then there's the upscale independent, and independent has, I mean, there's a variety of independents too that are at different levels as well. Mm-hmm. But what you guys are doing, like I said earlier, it's like reimagining the whole thing. Mm. And I think that science or the passion that you have and and the the care and consideration for the product 
it means that you're going to hunt the best. You're going to apply the best. And when you train the staff right, you're going to get the best. And I think you can't really set a price on that. You know, I mean, that's... Well, that's I have to, unfortunately. I know, of course you do. But what I'm saying is um, you'll see it and you'll go in there. Uh, the difference between a, a kind of volume impact industry like Starbucks or Costa's they're trying to push sales. So it's like yeah. you get some come through the door. That's why there's no time to clean in their minds. Some stores, you know, can't speak for all of them. Some might have that at the forefront of everything. But I've had a similar experience, weirdly, in Domino's Pizza, which is a high uh, volume industry as well. You're just pushing sales. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a line coming out the door down the street kind of a thing, and you're pushing sales every day. And therefore, it's something that's got to give, I think, in the franchise. We Wars had a militant manager who is like extremely all about clean everything so you can see your face and every day. Mm. But we'd be closing the shop at six in the morning. So we'd be doing this crazy time to clean everything, you know, spick and span. And it's Domino's Pizza, but we were the best store in the area for that attention to detail. It's almost unimaginable for me that you can pay a price. The Starbucks and Starbucks keeps jacking up the prices. And so I think what's a nod is... Starbucks can jack up their prices to six pounds, not going to change it being a volume industry. But when you go to a specialist like yourself, you can set that price and keep that price for longer, you know. So mm. it's it's almost like you are getting this care and attention. Mm. It's amazing. I just want to backtrack a little bit because you're talking about the process of beans. And uh, mm. I know quite a bit about uh, tea and it's very similar. Like you can get these really expensive Chinese teas that have been uh, stored for over 10 years, et cetera. Yeah. It's like wine almost. Yeah. Um, but can you tell us a bit about the fair trade side and, you know, the beans that you use in, in your shop? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, we don't use fair trade. Mm. Okay. Uh, I don't, do you guys know anything about fair trade coffee? Tell us. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Pretend so, like we don't. <laughs> so fair trade, although it's a beautiful idea, I'm talking about the brand fair trade yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful idea. And disclaimer, I'm not a market expert. It's a bit of a gap in my knowledge in terms of like commodity and market yeah. values and stuff. But I know that there isn't enough evidence that fair trade works, that actually the cost for a farmer or a grower, especially in coffee, to be fair trade certified is so high. It often negates the point of them being in the fair trade industry in the first place. I know that fair trade often go for the poorer quality of beans. Yeah. yeah, there are various issues. And actually, if you're interested in that, there are loads of blogs out there. The guy that actually runs SCA, we talked about them earlier, the Speciality Coffee Association. Yep. Yep. The guy that runs that has actually written a really in-depth blog about this. And it's probably one of the top hits when you search for like fair trade coffee and why it's actually a bit of an issue and why in Speciality Coffee, we opt for something called direct trade instead. Okay. And... I guess you could call it fair trade with small letters, not capitals. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In that the coffee buyers, who are more often than not the roasters, whoever's a coffee buyer, they're going directly to the farmer and they're paying the price that that farmer is setting. Now, two reasons for this. One is he obviously knows the cost and what he needs in order to be sustainable in his business and pay his staff and carry on growing a good quality of bean. But also the reason that buyers are interested in paying this price and not haggling down is because they ultimately want a long-standing relationship mm-hmm. with that grower as well yeah yeah uh, you know sustainability in a nutshell right there Absolutely. but it's the coffee equivalent of a chateau the same kind of concept yeah. when you're dealing with grapes and wine well, it's the yeah same exactly yeah. they are very similar ideas same with tea as well yeah so i know i, I pretty much exclusively use a coffee roaster called origin 
And I know that the coffee they are selling me, I know they've been to meet the farmers and the growers and they're happy with the environment yeah. and the way in yeah. which it's being grown. I'm very much in touch with Origin a lot and they're very transparent in their transactions with growers. It's always all over their website and they do blogs and stuff like that yeah. about going out there and meeting them. So I can trust them. Yeah. And in turn, that relationship with them is reflecting the relationship with the growers. So that's super important because I am, or I, we as the company are very interested in, that's what we're ultimately interested in, being sustainable yeah. Yeah. and not making profit at the cost of the earth, you know, or at the yeah. cost of other yeah. people. Which is massively important. Massively. I want yeah. to sleep at night. Yeah, of course. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to run a successful business. Of course I do. But I don't want that to be at the cost of other people's well-being. Well, I think it doesn't have to be. I think that's a message. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people, they're so focused on the monetary value of owning their own company. Mm. It's really a secondary. It's, it's almost a compliment. Your first thing, you should be passionate, really, and you should know what you're doing. Everything you're doing, Lydia, is the right way of doing it, you know. <laughs> well, no, it is. I mean, it really is. I mean, moralistically, yeah. you know. Um, but it's also that I think good things come. I've always been a firm believer that if you do something right and you do it to the best of your ability, it pays reward. Mm. If we undo that as a logic, it's almost like, what's the point yeah. of doing anything, you know. But I feel like it's also some that's a movement that really should happen because... Number one, you know everything that you're doing with your coffee. You treat it like it's the artisan product. It is. It's almost like you take a bakery, right? you got flour. We all know flour. You get flour from the supermarket, all mm. of this stuff. But then you can get flour. You can get flour from an organic grower mm. in Yorkshire who's got his own windmill and he's grinding it. You yeah, know, yeah. that's flour to me. You know what I mean? And we mentioned this briefly when we talked with DDP. In yeah, we did. Yeah. Grades of ingredients. <laughs> a weird so. nod to Diamond Dallas Page. How are you doing? Um, but yeah, like... I just think that to me, you've got to you've got to expand that confidence. Just in the way you talk, and there's this knowledge that you have about your product that I think puts you ahead of a lot of people. You Thank know? you. I think it's it's funny because so I've been running my own business now for about five months. Sure. And I can very easily see how you can lose sight of it. Mm. You know, I I sit and do my business admin and crunch the numbers, which isn't something that came naturally to me. By the way, I am a yeah. people orientated person and. Ultimately, I think that serving customers is the job. But unfortunately, you do have to find the time to do the other stuff. Yeah, of course. And I can see how it's very, very easy and, and ultimately have sympathy for people who have chosen a different path. Because you see the numbers go in and you see the numbers go out and what you're paying your suppliers and what you're paying your staff and everything. And it's easy to say, right, how can I make more money? Right, I could pay my staff less. I could choose yeah. cheaper ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. And haha, I'd be balling. I'd be throwing yeah. money around. Yeah. But that doesn't sit well with me. And I'm happy to say this in the public arena because I want people to check me on it. I want people to, in a year's time, still yeah. be like, are you still doing the yeah, same thing? Yeah, of course thing? you do, yeah. And, you know, it's this thing of if you put it out there, you have to stick to yeah. it. And that's why I'm so vocal about this and, and my beliefs about quality and educating people in the least offensive way possible because I fully intend to live this, live what I'm saying. And, yeah, it's very easy to lose sight of it. I get it. Just yeah. Don't let me. Yeah, well we won't. <laughs> we'll remind you. We'll check in, fact, back in, in a year. We'll, well we'll ask you back in a year <laughs> and see what's going on, you know, see how much you are as well. Because I mean, 
I know what you're saying. I mean, I think that's we we run a film company, and for us, profits depend on an audience, literally yeah. dependent on audience. I think there's always this dynamic between integrity and profit. You mm. know, like it almost feels like it's on opposite sides when it gets hard. Yeah, well, it's, it, I mean, it's a curious thing, really, because it's actually going to be my final segue in a minute. But I'm going to build up this thing, and it's something that we're all quite passionate around this table about. I'm going to use the big word McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> but basically, um, I literally recently uh, watched, there's a movie out there called The Founder, Michael Keane stars, and it. it's about the origin of McDonald's, how it started. Right. And the beginning of it, and I'm just real quickly, I'm not going to tell you the synopsis of the film, but the beginning of it was this uh, as in concept, there's two brothers, both geniuses in their right, that worked in the Hollywood movie industry, got all of this collective idea of how they can run a family-oriented restaurant with a gimmick that they could serve you something in within seconds, right. as opposed to having a line that goes on forever. They mastered this concept of drive-through, mm-hmm. you know, but it was actually walk to the window. And so they could handle high volume, but they simplified everything and kept everything with the utmost respect. And these two guys were almost duped out by a corporate-minded guy who just thought profit. And so right there and then, you've got the metaphor we're talking about of that whole moralistic thing that you start a business with over profit. These guys kept their morals 100%, Mm. but they lost their concept, which has happened in the world time and Mm. time again. Mm. So I think what's refreshing, and I will bring up the big M in a minute, (laughs) but I think what's refreshing is that if you keep your morals and then you turn profit, You've changed the industry because then people are now looking at something that's more conscious, more um, real, you know, as opposed to, yeah, let's start cutting corners. We'll do Rice Krispie chocolate things instead of donuts, for example, yeah, you know, yeah. something like mm-hmm. this. Um, we'll just do slightly less quality in our coffee, sell more volume. It really is easy, especially when there is pressure in our economy around the world right mm-hmm. now to think that way. There really is. Mm-hmm. But if you stay true to what you believe in, I really believe you come out the other side of it and you can win. And when you do win... You represent a, Yeah, you represent, yeah. but it's also the story you tell, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that's real success right there. Yeah. And that's what we need to draw back onto the onto the map, really. Mm-hmm. But just, just to end this, because this is a big conversation. Yeah. McDonald's. Hey. What the hell are they doing? <laughs> yes. Um, well, you know, you come back in America... McDonald's, uh, they get as far as working with a few celebrities to advertise themselves. They don't need to advertise in America. You know, it's it's literally a song here and there and your slogans or whatever. But here there's been this movement recently. And the movement is to launch their McCafe, which has existed in Hong Kong forever. I mean, it's at least a decade. Eh? It's on plus forever for me, apparently. <laughs> But it's been there and it's always a separate thing and yeah. it's literally rivaling the Starbucks and everything like mm. this. That's the point of it. Here, it took a long time to come out. But there has been a uh, recent, it's a couple of months back now, but it's this attack really mm. on independent-minded coffee franchises such as yourself. And you you were very verbal on YouTube and I think fair play to you. Because you said you made a fatal error. What's that? You're not going to be heard. Well, now you're hurt. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, it was just, it was in comparison to the advert. It was yeah. my comparison. I put out this video because I've been talking to the guys I work with a lot and some guys I know from other independent coffee shops a lot about it. And I was like, man, let's just put this out there. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know in comparison to their TV adverts, my views are minimal. But I think it's important, again, bringing back to this education thing in that, 
people who want to watch the video can watch the video and understand a little bit more about speciality coffee and why we are different and why we have done nothing to deserve being trampled on by McDonald's. Can we just uh, describe the ad for our non-UK viewers, uh, yeah. listeners? It's, it's, it's a montage of various complicated ways and artistic ways to serve coffee. There's this concept with three jars and each different thing's got a different thing. Then you combine it to make yourself a cup of coffee. There's lots of kind of convoluted concepts in it. But the thing that's insulting is it's playing to a song that drops the word madness over and over again, which is basically saying it's all gone crazy. Right. Um, it's a, it, the, the cleverness is that the promotion is basically trying to win over those people who just want a simple cup of coffee and they don't want anything complicated, right? The problem where it fails is there's about 500 different cultural obscenities within that clip where it's basically calling mm. traditional ways of distilling and filtering coffee madness, which is their problem. And I actually, just to put this out there with my mate James Thompson, and we both know Lydia, mm-hmm. uh, he's becoming quite militant about stuff like this. And I, I love him for it. But one thing he was saying is almost like there is only so many things that, that you can imagine. McDonald's is trying to have a monopoly on everything. And when they when they throw something like this out there, and I have no problem speaking this. I know you're way more PC than me, Lydia. But mm-hmm. I watched this and it infuriated me. Because I'm almost like, imagine you've just started a company and it takes a lot of balls to start a company in this day and age. And, you know, you're trying to do something honest, organic in in the movement of business, just as you are. And this thing comes out. It's almost like the perfect timing to Mm -hmm. to just, you know, make everyone start joking. And England especially has this wit of like, when you see something like that, it becomes something to add banter to. So you can even have people walking into your shop and going like, you know, uh, madness or whatever, quoting the, the McDonald's riff or whatever that's on the advert. It's quite offensive. And not only does it knock the independent back, it's almost making a statement that's simply not true about McDonald's. There's no way McDonald's can literally compete with the sort of knowledge that you've acquired. Right. Well, I mean, it's they are catering, like you say, to the customer who is intimidated by the offering of a speciality coffee shop and i get it i get why some marketing genius sat down and went i've got an amazing idea here guys but again i'm sorry to keep coming back around again there is a little bit of fault here blame here with the way that speciality coffee industry has been communicated to customers in that it's been highbrow or Mm. or hipstery elitist elitist exactly So I understand where it's come from and why it's a backlash. I also heard from a customer came into the shop about a month ago, actually, and told me that her local coffee morning group, she was an older lady, and they now meet at a McDonald's. Right. Because it's cheaper and they just get the coffee that they want. And I had to just accept that. Yeah. I had to accept that that customer is not in the right place if they come into my shop because I cannot serve them the drink that they yeah, want. Yeah. However, what McDonald's are saying is that that's okay. They're saying it's okay to not care. Mm. It's okay to not care that you're getting a really poor quality bean and that we've paid nothing for it and that the farmer has been yeah. rinsed for it. Yeah. And these are principles that they apply to their food and have applied for a very long yeah. time. Interesting, yeah. I didn't know that about the... You should watch the, the film. I will watch yeah, that. Because, I didn't know it. Because I think it really explains the failings. Yeah. Um, I mean, we go back to that thing. Um, There's a chain in the USA that's almost 
blown up out of the fact that McDonald's went super corporate, went global. Mm. It's called In and Out, and it's yep. a Californian. Uh, yeah, because yeah. you've been to America, haven't you? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. <laughs> so In and Out, Facebook, eh? yeah, I know it's amazing. You just keep tabs. So In and Out is kind of addressed the way McDonald's was addressed. Yeah. I mean, it is a super chain in California. It's massive. But it's kind of like Five Guys has turned up here recently from New York. It's the New York equivalent of In and Out. It's a volume industry, but they do care uh, at least it's a lot. It's trying more. to bring the quality back into mass production. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's you've got a few brands that are trying to do this in the US. There's uh, Chipotle, which is a burrito chain. They're really about sourcing and uh, knowing their farmers and everything like this. The movement, at least that's how it's sold. Mm. I haven't done enough research. But McDonald's really lost the plot. I mean, they cut edges. Now they're trying to almost justify what we've uncovered about them. And that's, isn't that, doesn't that drive you mad? I, absolutely mad. I mean, if, like I say, it's customers are making a decision to go to this place. But I would wager that it's because they don't know. Yeah. All they see is I can get a burger for 99p. Yeah. Yeah. I can get a coffee for 50p. I believe that people are good. I believe that people have the ability to care. And if they were educated, if they were, and I don't mean educated in a patronizing way. No, it's, way. it's an ignorance and they need, it's an acceptable ignorance. In an innocent yeah. way though, just they've never been exposed to it. Like said, this generation, we are used to being able to get a burger for 99p. Yeah. And so this is why I said in this video that I put out that I am an advocate for eat wherever you want, but there's a disclaimer there. You have to understand that what you're paying, there has a direct effect on the quality of the product you're going to get. So if you're going to go and have that 99p burger and wash it down with your 50p coffee, you have to understand it's a completely different product to what you're getting in our shop or similar shops. Well, it's also also just to to give a throwback, because again, I don't have to be as PC as yourself. But if you rationalize just one minute, when you go into a supermarket, just a supermarket, and you want to have something that is a high quality ingredient, there's a lot of labels you see, finest, okay, be it Tesco, something like this. There is a leap. There is a huge leap in the quality. It could just be that they're using slightly more expensive ingredients uh, instead of milk, it's cream, for example, Mm -hmm. something as simple as that. But you are paying the extra because in food, that is what you are paying for. It's not an industry you can cut corners with food, as radical as it sounds. Because if you're farming a product, vegetables, corn, whatever, and you're growing that correctly rather than GMO stuff or mm. anything that's been altered, which is cheap as chips, you are literally putting in an artisan. It's almost a generational thing. It's a skill set that a lot of people don't have. And when you grow that vegetable or whatever and you bring it into a kitchen, you cook it and you chop it up, that's always gone through the annual process of being grown and farmed and and harvested. There's a lot of man labor in that as well. People have forgotten because, you know, not many kids have experience Sure, I mean, there's a nightmare story associated with this. We'll, We'll say, we'll tell Lydia about in Hong Kong where someone had come visiting your family. Uh, yeah. Wynn's dad runs a farm in right. Hong Kong. It's an organic farm. It's not commercial. It's for him. It's his re- retirement plan. Yeah. <laughs> so he's become a farmer. But you had relatives coming in from China, and some yeah. of the kids didn't even realize that vegetables grew. No. Yeah. For real. They thought they all appeared in a shop, like it oh, was created in the back of somewhere. It's that generation you know. that comes into a rural place, and they're on their phone, mm. and they just ignore the world around yeah. them. To just add a bit more credit to people, I think we all know, we all have this voice inside our head, this consciousness that you get in a burger for 99p, it's not the best mm. ingredients. Mm. It can't be because it doesn't make any sense. 
So some part of us knows this. Yeah, it it goes back to the conversation we had with Graham in episode three in terms of food crime. Yeah. When something is that cheap, it's probably not what you think it is. Yeah. What's all the alternative cuts? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can say anything's pure beef or chicken or something like this. But which part? Is it the nails? Is (laughs) it the face? You know, it's the cheaper cuts. It has to be because you can't. You can't run any successful business undercutting your prices and make profit. You just can't do mm-hmm. it. So we all know that. We all know that. I think you might be applying like rationality though to some a situation where, where maybe there just isn't any. I genuinely, I, mean, I, I don't think I could win over everybody, but I genuinely think that if you could have five minutes of everyone's time that was about to walk into a McDonald's, I bet you over half of them wouldn't still go in. But there's elements of ignorance, sure, I don't want to know. Like the whole thing sure, the yeah. whole thing around yeah. surrounding people that say yeah. they love animals but still massively buy into the animal yeah. cruelty, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't want to know because it doesn't fit into their life. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I have chosen to live in a certain way, which means that my hard-earned money, I spend more on my life because I try and make more ethical choices. That's my decision. Not everybody wants to do that. And I get it, and it's it's your money and you can do what you want with it. But actually, a friend of mine, I was at a, a party a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me about this article that I still need to look up. But it was some food critic, I forget his name, and he you know, he goes around Michelin-style restaurants yeah. and stuff. He was basically saying TripAdvisor is rubbish. Like, don't believe it, because the only people that do well on TripAdvisor are the people that sell cheap food, because people want big portions. I don't, I don't believe it, actually. Well, like, it, I it, do pretty well on TripAdvisor. Sure. So there's, there's, wanna... there's, there's, there's truth to it. Yeah. I think it's also because we're living in a day and age where the internet makes everyone a critic. And if yes. you if you haven't, for example, food critics classically go to the best of the best. So they really have something to compare to. Mm. You know, they'll be on the search around the world for the best kebab, mm. for example. Mm. And they'll find it. And then everything after you find the best is is a version of that best, yeah. you know. But for the most people, they're happy with like, you know, veggie burger chips or something like this. And it doesn't have to have a lot of quality standards. Mm. So when you... You see a lot of this on, say, Just Eat or all these delivery services. When there are comments dropped, to be fair to people, I would say the majority of the uh, comments are something we can all say, yeah, you're pretty much right. To be fair, especially, like, say, with TripAdvisor, when you read the comments, you can kind of see where these people are coming from, like, whether or not they've traveled, whether or not, you know, you can... Yeah, you, 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 see, you do see experience, yeah. but there are there are three things that kind of negate it. The first is that it becomes an everyman pool. Yeah. And so experience can be, you know, everyone's got different tastes. And it's some a bit of a popularity simple. thing as yeah, well. Yeah, it can be, yeah. But then there's a political thing where a restaurant itself can literally get all of its staff to start giving five-star ratings or whatnot, you know. You can get caught doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. It's a risky game to play. But it's, I feel like they're, they're so dubious stuff. That's Um, what I mean. It's almost like Battle of the Bands. If you have the most friends, then you win. It is, oh, yeah. Yeah. But if I can bring this back to a point that you made earlier. Sure. So TripAdvisor, I think, or any online reviewing yeah, format yeah, yeah. people are more likely to complain than they are say something good no I mean, they are big this time. comes back to talking about the culture of people can be very negative well that was my third thing oh. my third sorry my, i jumped no no no, no it's okay my third thing was that a lot of people if there's a trolling concept mm. if they're just slamming you people just leap onto that and add to it mm. it's like the mob mentality of like we'll we'll all burn you down you know yeah so it is but that. it's sad because I, I mean I, I'm a massive fan of giving positive feedback yeah and I'll, I'll do it in person though before I leave the shop as well I'll be like that coffee was amazing all that food was really good 
because I just think people just don't hear it enough and it can just brighten their day. Well, yeah, you know? I think it should be an honest system, mm. really. Uh, it's just a shame it isn't always, you yeah. know, but it should be. And I think I think in time it will be. Mm. Like I said, um, we've previously had a conversation about politics and religion, believe it or not. That was, that was challenging. <laughs> uh. But it, the concept of uh, a lot of things, I think the social changes that are happening... Mm-hmm. I think it's a generational, it's our, we're sort of inheriting the world right now. We're in the process of it. And when you think about it, like we're setting a lot of standards that I think are really positive. And the fact that you're having a lot of vocal changes, a lot of evolution in cafes and in simple things, it's actually really encouraging. It's actually a very positive thing. Like I was saying, it's only my personal opinion, but if you know what you're doing and you're selling that as a product, I don't think that's you're asking too much on your prices. I think you've got it right. Hmm? Bang on right. In fact, fair in certain areas as well, you know. Too fair. But that's because you're a nice person. I mean, I I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I wasn't. That's the thing. I know, I know. I I justify these prices and they're very transparent and I can talk to people about them all day. They are a direct reflection of the products that you are getting and the passion of the people that serve it. It's just that simple. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up soon. I would like you to advertise your... your, uh, where can people find you? Yeah. <laughs> so Warwick Street Kitchen, we're on Warwick Street in Leamington. Crazy. Yep. <laughs> um, in fact, you know, really good independent scene in Leamington. Really good for anyone who's into that yeah. kind of thing. Blossoming, for, actually. You know, day of Big shopping, time. day of drinking, eating. Yep. We sell specialty coffee and drinks, all day brunch and lunch, which is all locally sourced and handmade on site. Really skilled chefs in the kitchen. And we're just all super happy to be there and just love our jobs. And I also do an online video tutorial called Bring Badass Coffee at Home. So I can help you get the best out of your setup at home. And you'll just come in and meet us and chat to us about what we do because we love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. please support. Find them on Facebook, check out the videos. Yeah. yeah, we're on Instagram as well, at Warwick Street Kitchen. I'm on Instagram all the time. I love that. Great. And if you're in America right now, and a lot of you are, and you're ever curious about this area because it is so rich in history, if you've mm-hmm. got Stratford, it's near Leamington Spa. Mm-hmm. Leamington Spa is a Roman town. You've got everything really at your fingertips. Do visit mm-hmm. because you'll be blown away. I'm pretty sure of it. No pressure. (laughs) But no, seriously, come and support them because they're good people, as you can tell. All right, over to him for the wrap-up. If you're interested to find out more about Warwick Street Kitchen in Leamington Spa, check out their Facebook page and Instagram. Their website is warwickstreetkitchen.com. Don't forget to watch Project FIA on amazon.com and amazon.co.uk. All of them are out right now, so check it out. And we also have a YouTube channel. It is Project FIA Gets Tubed. Finally, reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. Project FIA.